All right, welcome to episode one of. I'm going to call it stories with Shomik for now because I don't have a the title for it. Yeah, this is this is super exciting. We usually read, watch, and hear stories about celebrities in sports, business, entertainment, whatever it is. And there's 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 an element of inspiration and there's stuff that makes you feel good, but. there's so many amazing stories among the people you know and most don't talk about it as we'll know from our guests soon it took me a while to convince her to be on this show you know most people are either shy or you know don't think their stories are really worth being told and i respectfully disagree with that um i'm surrounded by very cool and impressive people and i insist that these stories are heard by more people our first guest on the show today has i think it's an incredible story she doesn't really think so but hopefully um we'll be able to convince her that she is awesome uh, this is a real life swades story now for those of you who don't know swades is a bollywood movie featuring shahrukh khan He plays an engineer at NASA, which is my dream job. It's making bank, lives a very very good life, gives it all up to go back to India and help build infrastructure to provide electricity to the most rural parts of the country. It's a feel good story and one of my favorite movies of all time. So if you haven't watched it, please check it out. But enough about Shahrukh Khan. <laughs> Our guest today is Ipshila Banerjee. This is a special episode not only because it's the first one not only because she has a cool story to tell but also because she's my sister cousin I guess yeah if you're being technical about it are we first cousins or second cousins doesn't matter doesn't matter okay <laughs> Ipshita Banerjee is a board certified behavior analyst with an MED in special education from Vanderbilt University in Nashville, USA and has a masters in psychology from Delhi University. She began her career working with pre-adolescents and teenagers on the spectrum with communication deficits and severe challenging behavior. She's been working with individuals with disabilities for 9 years providing services ranging from early intervention to vocational skill development and community readiness her work has focused on behavior management augmented and alternative communication systems and teaching age appropriate functional skills she is passionate about disseminating the science of aba and special education strategies to support caregivers and professionals who play an important role in the life of an individual with special needs Her research focuses on developing caregiver training models and bilingual interventions for individuals with communication deficits and she's currently based out of Gurgaon in India. So Ipshita welcome. <laughs> it's so nice to have you here. Thank you Shomik for having me. This is a, it's it's a little difficult for me right now not only because this is the first time I'm running a podcast but also because i'm used to calling ifshita by her nickname but i can't do that right now she's a few thousand kilometers away from me but i i completely believe she will catch the next flight out to come and beat the shit out of me if i do 
So that is okay. correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ipshit, how did you end up in this space? Good question. I wish I had a inspiring story to say, but I believe I just stumbled into it. Um, like you know, my background was in psychology, um, so I did my undergrad and my postgrad in psychology, and. somewhere along the line i had an internship that i was supposed to do as part of my masters requirement where i ended up working with young boy with autism and we just clicked and i thought it was fun and i had a blast and that was around the time when i was actually preparing to be a therapist and get into counseling into my mphil and it just i reached a point where i realized that adults were complicated it was stressful working with them I have a lot of respect for people who provide therapy and who are, you know, within the field of clinical psychology and counseling. I just kind of started feeling like it wasn't meant for me. And then I had this internship when I worked with kids, um, and that just seemed like a better fit. I felt like I related to them more. There was something about the innocence and the playfulness that just seemed a little less stressful than the heaviness that comes with working with adults. So I decided to give it a shot, and I think till I. till i started my first job i wasn't actually sure that i'd like it i mean like i said i kind of stumbled into it i finished my masters and then as it happens in india i realized i didn't have a career after that so i just picked up the first job that paid me a little bit more than what i was getting everywhere else but ended up being um a school in gurgaon that was being set up to work with kids on the spectrum on the autism spectrum and it was a new school that was being set up and they were having people who were flying in from US to train on on this new therapy that i had not heard of called applied behavior analysis so it sounded exciting it sounded cool and i gave it a shot and within the first week of my job i realized this is what i want to do for the rest of my life so just a happy coincidence i'd like to believe that's incredible that's that's amazing that you knew in a week that this is what you want to do when i was Then I wanted to be a truck driver, and since then every year it has changed. I remember your faces. Right now I want to be an actor. I remember your faces. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, of course you know them. Yeah, you've you've seen all the truck driver, rock star, mm-hmm. movie man, all of it. Currently, I want to be an astronaut, but I think that ship has sailed. But we'll see. We'll see. So okay, interesting. Thanks for sharing that. For those of us who don't really know anything about this space let's begin with the basics what is neurodivergence i keep seeing it pop up on my twitter feed every fourth tweet is about neurodivergence and at this point i'm i'm too ashamed to admit i have no clue what that is can you tell us more about it i'll start off by saying there's no shame in saying that you don't know what neurodivergence is i also believe the field that i'm in language is important but it's also challenging because it constantly develops i just recently clarified a lot of misconceptions i had about the term neurodivergence so i do want to preempt my re- response to this by saying despite working in the field for so many years i'm not an expert because i do not be- i do not belong to the community of people with disabilities i am someone who works with them i advocate for them but i'm very well aware of my position as being a typically developed neurotypical adult and i want to respect the rights of people 
within the Eurodice Virgin movement as well as individuals from the disability community to know that I'm not a voice for them. Saying that, so neurodivergence is basically a non-medical term. It's a social term that I believe was actually coined by a sociologist called Judy Singer. Yeah, I think it was Judy Singer. But yeah, so it was start. It started off as a term that was used for people on the spectrum, and when I say on the spectrum, I mean people uh, with autism and ADHD, and it was basically a less offensive non-medical term used to describe people who were atypical, who did not behave, think, process, respond to situations or whose minds were did not cognitively process things the same way as a majority of people did. I believe that's where the term was coined and now it's kind of expanded to include not just people on the spectrum or people with ADHD, but people with dyslexia, people with learning difficulties. And I believe in some circuits, because I'm seeing this a lot in India right now for sure, also people with mental health conditions as well you know, who may just have certain different patterns of thinking. So to be absolutely honest, I'm not extremely confident in talking about what neurodivergence is and is not. Fair. But simply put, it I think it encompasses different ways of thinking, different ways of perceiving the world, different ways of existing, and different, unfortunately, being defined as statistically as being not what comes into your bell-shaped normal curve. So that which is not typical. Got it. So tell me about, when did you decide to go to the US to do your master's? What caused that? So I actually... actually, Why the US? Why not anywhere else? Or why not? Good question. It was pretty, it was a big decision for me to go to the US. I think for a large part of my life, I was, I think I grew up in the generation where brain drain was taught to us. So I was one of those people who believed that leaving my country and going outside for education meant that I was wasting my talent and that, you know, India had everything that it needed to offer me. So I went ahead and I, I, I do believe I had a pretty solid education and, you know, I really enjoyed my undergrad and master's in psychology. It was after I started my first job, uh, first proper job in, with the organization that I mentioned before. I, like I said, I absolutely fell in love with the job and we had some fantastic training and I was working essentially with children with very severe needs. So children on the autism spectrum who had, these were older students who had very severe problem behaviors. They had severe communication deficits. They were amazing, amazing, wonderful individuals to work with. And I learned a lot. However, there came a point where I felt like I understood autism and I, all of my education so far made me understand how to teach and understand what the child was going through but it wouldn't tell me what to teach so i kind of had the strategies and my training in the organization and applied behavior analysis really made me a really good interventionist so i knew how to teach a particular skill um, how to really control and manage behavior but i started hitting a point where i could not figure out how to really package the content that needed to be taught in a different way That's when I stumbled upon the field of special education. And then the more I researched within India, I didn't really get the specific kind of program that I was looking for. I was looking for something that would allow me to specialize for um, individuals with most severe disabilities. A lot of programs that I saw in India catered to 
learning disabilities or ADHD or what are otherwise known as high incidence disabilities. Disabilities that you see more often, uh, that are more visible. A lot of schools um, do have a lot of kids who are diagnosed with learning disabilities and ADHD. But the individuals that I'm more passionate about working are the individuals that you don't see in the community. These are, our kiddos are not seen in the community. You don't see them in the malls. You don't see them in the parks. You definitely don't see them in the schools. So I kind of wanted to learn more and like equip you. And why is that? Why do we not see them so much? Oh, variety of reasons I'd like to believe. I think it's a combination of, of course, um, first challenge being stigma, right? Like, your is the first thing you hear. Even now when I try and explain to a non-English speaking person uh, what autism is, I find myself struggling because there is no Hindi word for me to explain autism. Or if there is, I'm not familiar with it. So it boils down to, you know, me trying to explain and I try and explain difference. And I struggle with finding politically correct words to explain neurodivergence or different ways of thinking. But it all boils down to which is basically the mindset that I'd like to say still exists. Um, I do think we're improving. I've seen a huge change in the level of awareness even over the last five years while I've been away. But yeah, I would say primary number one is stigma. Number two, lack of resources. So even A, kids don't get diagnosed. When they do get diagnosed, what next? Parents don't have spaces to take them to. There is a huge, huge lack of qualified professionals to work with um, individuals with special needs. There are no safe places for them to go to. So even if you do have your child attending a school, there are no inclusive spaces. The community does not know. We don't know as a community how to respond to a person with special needs. We don't know how to create a safe environment for them. So what is the solution? Your child is safer at home, away from the people who are dangerous to them, right? So it's a combination of stigma where obviously families feel a lot of shame and guilt in taking their child out because there are fingers that are pointed at them. The child's mannerisms or like difficulties in adapting to the world are seen as parental, as a fault of the parent versus understanding that this is just something that the child struggles with. So it's a, it's a, it's a lot for families and parents to deal with. Right. And, and like I said, also, where are they going to take their children? It's the only the big cities that are equipped with, therapists or special schools that do have the expertise in working with individuals with special needs. So yeah, that's probably why we don't, we don't see as many neurodivergent adults or children as we'd like to see in the community. But yeah, so that's kind of what motivated me to go abroad and find a course because I realized I wanted to specialize working with individuals with severe disabilities and there wasn't anything in India that met my need. So I had to look at the US. Interesting. Honestly, I had I didn't know anything. Thank you for sharing this. Uh, this is very, very interesting for me to know. I always find it very interesting uh, when, like, I haven't heard the term brain drain in a while. And I was, that, that took me back because I remember very clearly, it was like one of these family get-togethers we were at and we were discussing, uh, you know, going abroad to study and you were very, like, vocal about I'm staying here. I, I, I don't want to go. And I was the opposite. I was like, hell yeah, I want to go. <laughs> I want to see the yeah. rest of the world. I, I do want to go abroad. I want to meet people from all over the world. And, you know, eventually yeah. we both ended up going abroad, but for different reasons. I came because 
I was like, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I want to go. But the, uh, another important difference between you and I is you're a nerd. You've always been extremely smart and very hardworking. And you went on a full ride for your master's in the US. I mean, I will... I never know how to respond to that. You're embarrassing me right now, but... Well, the answer is yes, you did. And that's that's yes, amazing. I did, but I also want to point out road. that that I also am aware. So, like, just... I want to talk a little bit more about this whole decision to go to the US, right? Like I mentioned, it was something as a, as a teenager and as a young 20-something, I was very opposed to till I was pushed into a corner in my career when I realized there was literally no other option but for me Right. do this if I wanted to continue doing what I was doing, not even from a career point of view. So me getting this added credential did not matter. I don't think it still matters, but like I left for the US because I wanted the knowledge. And I feel that is something that right. the field pushed me towards, right? Like it put me in a place where I realized that I hit a wall with my kids. There was only so much I could do. And then there was no one yeah. within the country or within my organization that was going to be able to answer the questions that I had. And I think that pushed me. But going back to the full ride right. thing, there was also a very, what should I say, like strong realization of the fact that it's a privilege to go abroad. 100%. Especially because I knew that I wanted to come back. So for most of us, when we go abroad to study, I know that you have to take loans. Yeah. Special education is still viewed as a social service yep. in India, it's not an established career. It's not a career that people necessarily choose for themselves. You are seen as some noble person who is doing this out of the goodness of your heart. Yes. It's something that um, I still hear where people think it's a stopgap thing that I'm doing. People have a hard time. My family has a hard time realizing that this is a career I have chosen for myself. Right. And I can understand. I can understand the hesitation for it. But the fact is, it's not a paying field. Yeah, it's, not it's, a yeah, it's, like, it's one of those things where people who do it are either from a socioeconomic background where they can afford to do this and it doesn't impact their right. lifestyle or they're people Correct. from not that socioeconomic background and like this is their best way out there's no in between absolutely absolutely and you're right because that's one of the challenges that i'm learning to grapple with now of how to figure out how to make this a viable career option where I know I'm in it because my heart is in it but at the same time I don't want to be living off my parents for the right. rest of my life so it was that realization that also kind of guided my uh, what should I say drive to make sure I went on a full ride because I knew I'd never be able to pay off my loans I would spend the next 70 years of my life paying back for my education abroad right. so I just also want to say that I know that how privileged I am to have gone and received this education abroad because I'd like to believe there are a lot more like-minded people out here who are as passionate and probably as skilled in doing what I do right now. But I know that I was very privileged to have had the opportunity to go and like upscale, upskill, not upscale, sorry, upskill myself <laughs> to make sure that I was, that I could be better at my job. That is, that is honestly, uh, yeah, I remember when we talked about it and you said you were going and even then and at that point i was like oh great you're going to the us you're you're all set and you're like no no i'm going to come back and at that point me and another cousin who's also in the us uh, so you know who i'm talking about both of us were like yeah. no she she's going to stay you know once you're in the us for a while and or rather once you're in whatever north america or outside of your 
home country for a while you kind of get used to it and so you and pretty much everyone else in my life yeah yeah like we like 90% of people I, believe that i wouldn't come back exactly like i was super confident that you know you would stay in the us and you know build build a career out there but honestly uh, yes you're right it is a privilege uh, to be able to study abroad we are very lucky that we got the opportunity but the difference between you and i is you did it for one to genuinely upskill yourself and and add value to the people around you i'm i just took the debt to go and you know see a new part of the world that i hadn't seen before had a great time don't get me wrong and uh, you know i've definitely built a community but you're in a career where you can yeah, you could afford absolutely. to do that absolutely. that's also reality like i i i don't know whether my decision would have been impacted different if i was in a yeah oh, fair that is completely fair absolutely. yeah yeah I, i i knew that at some point i'd i'd make up the money that i that i spent yeah. on mm-hmm. business school business school is not cheap if you if you're going if you decide to go to school hit me up i'm happy to chat but no that is very very interesting so at what point did you decide in like did, when you started the program did you have a timeline on when you want to go back or did that happen after you finished the program what was the thought process there so i think i was pretty de- determined from the day i gave my gre that um, i don't think i've ever been this determined about anything in my life i know i've been a cute, i've known to be stubborn but i think yes. this is the first time when i've actually followed through so much from the day i gave my gre i knew that i was going abroad going to the us with a single minded goal to to this specific certification i was very clear on the number of schools i was going to apply to because there was one specific course i wanted to do so i limited my applications to just five schools despite being told that apply to 8 to 10 and i was like no this is the only thing i want to study and either i do this or i don't do this at all so i was pretty determined from day 1 of even before going that i knew i wanted to come back um i wanted to come back the minute i graduated so in my mind i had planned even from the day i started my program i had just planned that i would just stay as long as my graduation ceremony and then come back but covid happened and that of course screwed up that all my plans yeah so which i guess like probably helped in combating some of my work uh, some of my stubbornness because everyone had told me to stay for a year to get a little bit of experience before coming back and i was just being very bullheaded about saying no if i stay longer i'll get tempted to stay there i must pack my bags and come back and as it happened because of covid i did end up staying one year on my opt and getting some work experience that i feel was extremely valuable and gave me some time to really prepare and plan for what i was going to do when i came back so yeah so i basically ended up staying exactly a year after i graduated and then i came right back yeah and then i came to nashville and saw you yeah you did <laughs> for for one evening this is true honestly the fact that you lived in nashville and decided to give that up and go back makes your decision all the more impressive i was there for a day and a night and i was ready to make it my home actually in 30 seconds i knew i wanted to make this my home so 
Okay, I'm going to admit that it wasn't the easiest decision and it's not like I miss Nashville. As you know, I did absolutely love Nashville. Um I loved working in the US as well. Um I think the the intellectual stimulation, the kind of colleagues I had, the mentorship, the work that I did, the kids that I met, they were all really really hard giving up as well. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't an easy decision, but also wasn't that hard. You know, I feel like it was like I went knowing that I was going to come back so the entire time that I was there it was like kind of the feeling of making the most out of this experience knowing I'll always be in touch with people there knowing that I always have an option of like I don't know finding ways to keep myself um, engaged with the community and the relationships and the friends that I've developed there but it wasn't that hard coming back because I knew that there was a bigger reason why I wanted to come back and that was like on my study table every morning like i had pictures of my kiddos from back home as a good reminder to make sure that i didn't get tempted to stay there and that i wanted to come back here but it wasn't that hard i mean it's it's i think it's I just like that. any of those life choices that you do um it was a career move that i knew i wanted to make for sure for sure no i love that it is super inspiring i love it this i remember when i decided like okay i'm going to I'm going to create a podcast and like talk to very very cool people and I messaged you and you know if you give me permission at some point in the show notes I want to put the screenshot of our chat where I said hey I, I think you should be okay so <laughs> no screenshot in the show notes that's fine but it was effectively just I said hey I think you should be the first guest cuz you're you know you're cool and you said I don't think I have a story to tell and it blew my mind and it also blew my mind because i also messaged a few other people who have different stories that i also think are very cool and 7 out of 8 said the same thing the same exact words i don't have a story to tell obviously i think that's the biggest load of bullshit i've heard in the in a long time so i want to talk about that because because i know i i was trying yeah. to explain my perspective on that I do believe everyone has a story. I think everyone's story each and every one of us have a story and it's like your favorite yeah. line, right? Who are we without our stories? I think that inspiration to be sought in each person's journey. So credit to But our I other sister who introduced us. Our family absolutely is brilliant. I think everyone I think every person is just too cool. But I I think the minute you um ask someone to share their story yeah. at least for me okay for me personally it's an added pressure it's an added expectation that it's a little bit of imposter syndrome where you're like but wait there are people who've done cooler things and why should my story be shared i'd rather that someone who's achieved more in life or is doing you know so much of great stuff like people who i'm inspired by like their stories should be shared so i think it's a little natural uh, because it it kind of it's hard for us to believe that or it's it's stressful for me to think that i could inspire someone else um it makes me feel a little like i don't know it's like a slightly outer body experience where i'm like no but this is what i do why would someone else seek inspiration from this and if they do like i don't know if i want to know about it you know or i don't know if i want to know about it on a formal platform because it just somehow feels like i need to then follow a certain trajectory to continue to inspire other people and i just feel like the pressure becomes higher so i'd rather do what i do love doing what i do and then just like 
stay in my own little corner doing that and shy away from the limelight i hear you there's this uh, there's a story on imposter syndrome that neil gaiman shared and neil gaiman you know is also one of the most popular authors of of the current times and and it blew my mind he he basically talks about his he was at a dinner for very well respected people who've achieved a lot in their respective fields and he was talking to his namesake there and the guy said yeah i don't know what i'm doing here with all these people and he was like but you're neil armstrong you went to the moon <laughs> so everybody feels imposter syndrome if the first man to the moon feels imposter syndrome if one of the best authors in the world feels imposter syndrome who are we right like you know so it is very normal but at some point we need to fight through it and that is where the and magic happens i think happens. like how i managed to finally change my mind is if at all someone does get inspired from this in terms of other people within our country jumping into this field then hey why not because that's that's why i came back as well right we need more people to work with our yeah. girls so if anyone out there wants to go broader i think that overestimating the reach of this podcast it's likely going to be you me and you never know. four you members never know. of our family maybe with the four it. members of our family maybe one <laughs> of our nephews or nieces could get motivated to take up this field and that would make me happy if i could even yeah. change i know i just spoke yeah. about not wanting to inspire anyone but even if i can convince one more person to get into this fabulous field and meet yeah. these amazing individuals that i work with then that will make me happy i love that Yeah I I know you don't want to inspire people but you're already you've already inspired a lot of people whether you know it or not one of them being myself but okay anyway we've this we we've, we've had a nice wholesome exchange tell me about the plan in India you're back there you've settled in what are you working on Yeah rewind a little bit I don't know if I got to talk about why I was so stubborn about coming back I don't want to make it into a very I I mean I don't know how to talk about it and explain it the way it makes sense to me. It was very simple I think when you do the work that we would do my field requires a certain amount of emotional connect with the people and the families that we work with and it was just a harsh reality that there yeah. were kids that we wanted to work with that we couldn't because there weren't enough resources. The fact that we always had kids on wait list just broke my heart and it just made me realize how ill-equipped we were to provide someone with their basic rights and i'm not even just talking about right to like education i'm just talking about it like a right to live a life of dignity that bothered me a lot yeah. um and that was one of the reasons why i wanted to come back to a country where we still have a long way to go yeah before we are able to provide that basic dignity or basic right to living a life that you are entitled to and just like huge huge scope i think like i said i was just it it was a very emotional decision for me to leave the students and the families that i work with but i had to convince myself it took me 4 years to quit my job because it was really hard for me to separate myself fast forward to your question now that's why i came back i came back because i feel there's a huge need i feel like there's a lot that we can do and it's almost like a twofold decision yeah. so what i've been doing over the past whatever couple of months since i've got back is really trying to figure out 
what are the different areas of needs and narrow down and focus on what is it that I'd like to be able to contribute to right now. There are 10 different battles that I want to pick, but I've managed to zero it down to like two specific things that I want to start off and then gradually take it from there. I've been really fortunate to have a colleague um, who actually two colleagues who I ended up connecting with while I was in the US and all three of us were in similar phases in our lives where we had worked in the field for several years, we had left, we had studied, and then we kind of reached a point where we wanted to provide certain services and we wanted to do things in a way where there was no organization that existed that either did what we wanted to or wanted to do it the way that we wanted to or work with the specific population that we wanted to. So three of us kind of got together and we've been in touch over the past couple of, I want to say like two years. Um, so what I'm doing right now is I've started off an organization with one of these colleagues of mine called Project High. Yes. There are, yay, coming to Project High. So a um, little snapshot of what we're trying to do is we're, we work with neurodivergent individuals and Project I primarily stands for identity. Identity and the, the other three I's that are important to us are inclusion, individualization, and interaction. I'm not going to get into boring details about all of this. I will share my hey, website. This is not boring. Well, I'll share this my social incredible. media page and wait for an official launch uh, for what we do. But right now, um, it's almost like a two-pronged approach that we have towards the work that we want to do. If I had to encapsulate what my philosophy of work right now is, it's to kind of prepare the child for the world and prepare the world for our child. So, so one prong of what we do is providing services. We've tried, we're trying to work with the particular age group and population of individuals with special needs who are not currently receiving services or are not receiving services that cater to their needs. So we've, based on our market research and our conversation with parents and families, these are your pre-teen to teen um, and young adult age group. So I would say maybe like 10 and above. These are our young adults and teenagers who are hitting puberty, who are having a lot going on, who don't necessarily have the communication skills or the self-regulation skills to be able to manage all the changes that are coming with them. And also just prepare for like adulthood and life, which is hard. So one thing that we're starting to do is start like a life skills post-school program working with uh, our young adults and adolescents, really focusing a lot on emotional regulation and like basic life skills, like how to interact with your peers, how to yeah. keep yourself busy at home, how to go make a snack and just like be a teenager or be an adult and have fun doing it. So that's kind of one um, specific avenue that I'm working in is to develop this program with my colleague and it's super exciting. The other thing that both of us are really excited about is uh, both of us strongly and firmly believe that there's a need for capacity building. There are a lot of wonderful people out there who want to work in the field. And like I said, who just may not have the opportunity to go abroad and study. Uh, both me and my colleague have been privileged enough to have been trained by wonderful, wonderful mentors abroad. Okay. And we'd like to believe that we do have something to offer back. Um, we are in a position to at least provide some basic amount of training and um, skill building amongst therapists and other professionals in the field. So a lot of what we want to work on is conducting trainings, workshops, creating coursework for not just people who want to work in our field, but also what we call um, stakeholders. That is other important people in our children and neurodivergent individuals' lives. So parents, caregivers, the didis and bhaiyas who work with them. 
the shopkeepers who are interacting with them on a regular basis, the salons that they're going to. So kind of just talking about just preparing our community for our children, because it's like a two-way process. There's a lot that um, our kiddos and our young adults um, have to offer. And it's just about figuring out how to make this yeah. interaction most meaningful for them. Kind of working on how can we create this two-way street where we teach neurodivergent individuals to find ways to transition into a community which is not yet fully prepared to understand and um, understand yeah. their true value and really know how to uh, meaningfully engage with them, but also simultaneously work a little bit on preparing the community. Absolutely. So it just seems fair Absolutely. that it should be a two-way street. I love that. I'm so happy and proud that you're doing this. A lot of people talk, you know, everyone has ideas and suggestions. More people have complaints about things not changing, about things not moving. At the end of the day, we move forward as a society by the five people that actually do something about it. We need those, we need the early adopters, right? And so I, I get where you're coming from. And, but I also still argue that everyone has a contribution to make, you know, towards making people's lives better. So you guys are making people's lives better in a different way. I know that it's, I mean, I, I honestly feel uncomfortable when, when someone gives me this sort of attention because it makes me feel like, a, I don't know, like, a, it, it makes me feel like I'm being put on a pedestal and I don't want to, I, I don't want to feel that way. Uh, because, um, don't worry, I'm your brother. I'm never putting you on a pedestal. That is true as well. But yeah, I think it just comes down to, I feel like everyone has, we're all working towards something. We're all working towards things that we're passionate over, passionate about. I just consider myself to have been really fortunate to love what I do. I, I do have a lot of friends who hate what they do, but they do it for the money. Yeah. And I just think I got lucky that the career that I picked, Fair. I really, really like what I do. And so far, the motivation has to has been to continue to stay in the same field. But also saying that I do know that it's like one step forward, three steps back. It's a very challenging field. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of respect. And I think another thing that guides me to stay in the, I think the real champions are the families and the people and the advocates for people from the community. I think we just are like a small, small part. We play a very small part in um, doing what we do for yeah. individuals with special needs. But I think the real people who motivate me every single day are the parents that I interact with and to know how much they are ready to go above and beyond to make sure that their kids get the life that they deserve. So I think that's really inspiring. And I think that's what's cool about my field that you don't get is that you get a lot of, lot of reinforcement from the families that you work with. You get a lot of real life inspirational stories that keep you going. I think every parent that I meet is rewarding. I think every child or every individual that I've worked with has been just incredible and great in their own right. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's a fun space. It's a fun field to be in. I love that. I love that. I am, I'm hyped. I'm pumped for you. I, Okay, tell us this. How can we get involved? How can we help? Go read up about neurodivergence. Go read out about autism. Go find out about why your respective organization... Oh, first one, find out, do your organizations employ people with disabilities? If yes, great. What is the percentage and what can you do to, do to get involved? If not, find out why. Go champion and figure out why are they not doing that and what can you do to make your workplace uh, 
a better fit for neurodivergent adults. There's no reason why they can't be working with you. Go find a person with neurodivergence and talk to them. Go find a person who's different from you and try and have a conversation with them yeah. to know more about. I mean, yeah, if you're in India, look us up, see what we do, find out ways in which we can collaborate with you. But I'd rather talk That's about awesome. getting, if, if you're talking specifically about India, I'd rather get to a state where all of us can at least know one neurodivergent adult. And I don't, I don't mean this from a fascinating point of view to be like, right. oh, God, I know yeah. someone who's got autism. And they're so cool. But I mean, just from a way to be like, we need to like really be a more inclusive society. Um, I am ashamed to know that I have very few friends who are um, neurodivergent. And that's something that I'm actively changing. I just don't want to yeah. be a therapist to individuals with um, disabilities. I actually want to talk to people who are advocates of the field and understand what their point of view is so that that could make me a better therapist. So that would be my two cents. That is amazing. I love that. Also, while you're physically setting up Project I, how can mm-hmm. someone like me sitting in Canada or someone in the US or someone who's not in India right now support that? Stay tuned. Trying to figure that out. Um, we're still trying to register ourselves as a company. So I need to figure out what are the ways um, in which we can possibly receive monetary donations. Um, that would be the yeah. best way to support us right now. Uh, but the minute I figure that out, I will share that with you and you can share it with your listeners. Um, any kind of support would be welcome. Whether monetary or just just a shout out to know that or just like sharing our social media page. Just yeah. getting people connected with us. So I don't really have an answer to that right yet because we're in our early stages of setting up our organization. But once I do, I'll share the details with you. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll put all the social media handles in the in the show notes as well. And obviously, I'll, I, ha- I have 1,000 followers on Twitter. So I will tweet it out. And... Let's see how long your Twitter account stays active. Hey, I am not leaving that platform unless like something much, much worse happens. Could it be any worse? But anyway. That's that's not a rhetorical question of the way things are going right now. Sounds more like a challenge. Mm-hmm. But no, we'll, um, I love that platform. Uh, but we'll see what happens. I also have 700 followers on Instagram. Of which I think one is great. we have in common, which is just our family. Um, <laughs> we have a very big so, we are, we are, we are very started, spread out yeah, and we are huge yeah as and when I get more active on social media for the work that we do just go ahead and post at this point awareness, conversations, dialogue yeah. is what we need um, like I said I think I'm, I'm second guessing every single word that I've said in this conversation with you because I constantly feel like I need to know more um, I need to check my tone and my language and the way I talk about people I work with in order to be more respectful for them and I uh, respectful towards them and I feel like the only way that can be done is through conversation and dialogue and the only way that can be started is if we actually give people yeah. something to talk about I love that like open up yeah and, and the journey never ends right like there's always something new to be learned mm-hmm. and information will keep changing the science keeps updating and there'll always be more to learn more to figure out and that's part of the process but we do we do the best we can with the information that we have 
and i think you've been absolutely amazing today as much as you're second guessing yourself i think you were awesome i couldn't have asked for a better first guess everyone else will now have to up their game <laughs> and uh, yeah thank you so so much for being a part of the show you are most welcome thank you for taking time to hear my story and i am hopefully going to be a little bit more confident talking about it in the future wait Thanks so, okay so just for the record right. this is the first time first whatever platform you're talking about project i okay so this is yeah. a special one this is a first for both of us this is a special one because you're my brother so you get first okay. dibs on knowing about it. we aren't even launched on social media yet so technically this podcast is the first time i've mentioned project i we we're going to be launching in a couple of days so you're the first one who gets to hear about project exciting I. exciting i am pumped i am hyped all the best you know Thank you, you so have much. you are amazing your team is amazing you're you're all going to do phenomenal phenomenal things i will help any and every way i can and uh, i appreciate that thank thank you for putting together this podcast series i think i look forward to hearing um your other guests i think it's it's exciting i think it's something new and yeah i think it's a great initiative apart from just keeping you yeah, busy it's, i think it's actually a great i i actually don't even know if this is new i did zero research on a market i was i was just like okay <laughs> i like talking to cool people i'm just going to record it and put it out into the internet and someone will listen to it maybe this is the most unplanned project i've ever done the to be fair most of my projects start this way but and it'll grow and then we'll figure it out as we go sometimes The main objective yeah, for me is to learn something new and have fun with it. I learned a lot today and I had fun so it stick those objectives. Everything else is a bonus. Amazing. All right. Thank you so much Ipshita. Thank you so much to the four people who are going to listen to this. And uh I look forward to having you back again with your co-founder uh at some point once we have more information and uh, hopefully yeah. it will be a very very exciting update to it sounds great thanks for having us